Now, an hour of clarity for exhausted people of our nation mired in toxic partisanship. Left versus right, us versus them. While we pay to keep our politicians fighting, how do we the people rise up and solve the great challenges of our time? We do it by embracing freedom and liberty. There may be no such thing as a free lunch, but this hour is as close as it gets. Welcome to A Free Solution. All right. Welcome, everyone, to A Free Solution. I'm Kevin Wilson, your host for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate you being here. We're live here on WYSL, which means you, the listener, can participate in the show by commenting online. Our phone lines are tied up today, but we'll get that in a minute. Shout out online to all of our friends listening on the Free Solution Facebook page, on YouTube page, on Twitter or the Kevin Wilson page, we're there too. And our friends listening over at WACK out in Newark and WENY, the Patriot, down in the southern tier. Thank you all for being here. And the phone line's tied up today because we have a guest on today's show. We have Bob Confer, who longtime listeners will remember him being on Radio for New York almost a year ago. But uh, Bob Confer is the, the president of Confer uh, Plastics. And, and are you still a columnist for the Batavia Daily News? Daily News, the uh, Lockport Union Sun Journal, and the Niagara Gazette. Right on. Well, Bob, it's, it's great to have you back. Thanks for having me on. Been looking forward to this. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, again, folks, we 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 talked with Bob uh, nearly a year ago now, uh, and we talked about how his company was responding to COVID and keeping uh, his employees and his workplace safe. And finding ways to make sure that New York State was going to let him operate, because at that time, everything was shutting down, or continued to be shut down. Uh, but you know, we're, we're here a year later, and I want to bring Bob back on to talk about, well, what have we learned since then, and what are the new challenges that manufacturers like him are facing in New York? So we'll, we'll start with that. You know, what, Bob, what, what have you learned in the last year about? operating a business during a pandemic? Well, I've learned that uh, whether it's the disease itself or the disease of government, things can happen which can cause the supply chain, whether it's things that I participate in or other facets of the supply chain globally, can be impacted by both of those factors quite significantly. And it may appear that supply chains are fragile, but when you've got government and the virus putting the hammer down on people saying you got to shut down, that creates backlogs, and we have government inducing uh, odd forms of demand while putting restrictions in place. That can cause a whole world of hurt. So I should say that the past 12 to 15 months have been a little strange, uh, exciting, and also uh, a little depressing at the same time. So it's it's a mixed bag of goodies here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so like in your industry in particular – and, and, you know, if you wouldn't mind, like, re-describing, like, what you do and what your company does, like, what, what sort of supply chain pressures have you seen? And then maybe we'll dig into, like, how the government and, and, and the virus itself is, is putting pressure on those specific areas. I would say that 90% of what we manufacture here, which is done with blow molding, is related to getting people on the water and in the water. So we have a Confer-branded line of pool and spa products, which would include ladders and steps, also spa steps, spa pads, and also we make cabinetry that goes on the outside of hot tubs that are supplied to OEMs in the U.S. and Canada for 
all sorts of spas, whether it's a standard size one or a swim spa. And we also do custom manufacturing. Someone comes to us with an idea, we transform that into a reality for them that they end market, which would be kayaks, docks, and items like that. So it's mostly leisure. A lot of it is home leisure. So we've seen a huge increase in demand over the past year, just because you've got government telling people that they're safer at home. So they're not going out and doing things. They're staying at home and buying things. So they're buying the home entertainment. They're doing home improvements. They're investing in swimming pools and hot tubs. So we've seen a significant increase. We're, we're so backlogged that our normal lead time had been four to six weeks. Now it's measured in months. And that's wow. an outcome not only of being so busy, but also the outcome of being so backlogged. Because we can never get back those nine weeks that government took away from us when they said that we were supposed to shut down because the products that we were manufacturing in their eyes weren't considered to be essential. So we can never get that time back. So in the meantime, we've been focusing on all of our COVID standards and everything else. I did find a loophole within IRS law that allows us to stay open indefinitely in the future if this ever happens again, because certain times the IRS agents and the courts will recognize swimming pools as being medical equipment because if a doctor prescribes it for someone's rehabilitation, then it's necessary. And when I look at the goods that we manufacture, I don't know exactly where they go when they leave the door here. So they could be for recreation. They could be for medical. So I'm covered in that regard. So we'll never see a shutdown again. But that doesn't mean that still to this day we are not reliving that shutdown that happened a year ago. Oh, yeah. No, that's an interesting point, you know. We, and, and that's something government doesn't know. It doesn't know how people are using these products to improve their lives. It, bureaucrats can't possibly know everything. There's a knowledge problem, right? So yes. how, how would they realize, you know, that someone's using your equipment for – medical purpose as compared to recreational purposes, not that that doesn't have inherent value in and of itself, too. But when they make these heavy-handed decisions, they don't realize all the consequences that has for people who really depend on this stuff. Yeah, and when you look at government going out and telling people that manufacturing is non-essential, which is absolutely crazy, anyone that goes through any economics class, whether it's in high school or college, always knows that the essential parts of any economy are the productive side. So that would be mining, agricultural, manufacturing, because that drives everything else. When you put the screws to manufacturers and farmers and miners and tell them you can't do things, or you tell it to construction people that they can't build things, that's going to create a lack of supply. It's going to create demand issues, and it's going to create, as we're seeing now, significant inflation. And I think it's an inflation that we can't get away from. And that's an all facets, whether it's uh, food stuff or things like we make, and it's pretty darn significant. Yeah, and you know, and just to, to broaden the scope of the issue, this is this is something people are seeing everywhere. It's just not it's not your industry. It's it's not the agriculture industry, and you know, we we are not done seeing it. Just because COVID's starting to go away, we're gonna continue to see these shortages and these issues because once you're you're offline for one, two, three months, it's a big deal, and you know we're. I, like I, I work in advertising, I work with a lot of like furniture retail stores who are going to have to wait months to get new product in. They, they they just don't have stuff sometimes because shutting down production for a little bit has long arching effects. Yeah, and we would look at uh, people wanted to invest in swimming pools and spas because they wanted to get out, outside and do things and actually have fun, even though government doesn't want us to have fun. But when it came to that, 
a lot of our clients who are selling those to the end consumer, that end consumer might have gone to them last year to say, I want a swimming pool installed in 2021. They're telling some of them right now that they're not going to be swimming until next summer. And the same holds true for those with hot tubs, where a lot of delivery dates that were placed last year in the fall are looking like Thanksgiving of this year. Wow. No, that's a that's a huge amount of time to wait. And, you know, and then the... I don't know if the, uh, every manufacturer has to do this, but putting the investment up front, right? Like if someone's going to pay for this, if you're an end consumer, you're not going to get that product for a couple of years. Are, are you going to hold off for a while? That, that's got to hurt both sides of the business there. Yeah, I've looked at uh, some of the spa retailers. So guys, the brick-and-mortar stores that are selling the hot tubs, they're taking the cash down in order to hold the spot for that consumer and also so they can buy from the manufacturer of that hot tub. They've actually created separate banking accounts in which to put the money so in the event that that product never produces or that customer wants to get out of it, they can pay the customer back. So they're mm-hmm. looking at immediate cash flows for the same time as at real cash flows because they got to sit on it. So they're kind of sitting on false financials right now, and it's just an ongoing uh, issue that's not going to be rectified anytime soon because the fear is that once the economy gets a little bit stronger and people get back to doing work, that everything that's being done now will remain somewhat contagious because people hit saw, people get swimming pools, hot tubs, maybe they bought a kayak, maybe they bought exercise equipment. They want to do the same thing. So they're going to say, you know what, I want to keep up with the Joneses. So they're going to want to buy that too. So we see a perpetual demand that's going to be relentless, which is a good situation to be in as a manufacturer because I would hate to be on the other side to be, say, someone that's in the restaurant business that doesn't know if their doors are going to be open day to day and whether it's going to be open in the future because there's so much risk involved with that. So I'm happy that we have the volume that we have, but I wish the situation worked out as such that we were looking maybe at 2019's numbers and the rest of the economy was strong because I want other businesses, I want other communities to revel in the American dream, and I hate to see it with that invisible hand of government putting it on the select few and hurting others. Yeah, and that's what many people are seeing as they're seeing the government – Picking winners and losers in these situations and, again, not understanding the full scope of how those decisions make an impact on everyday people and the wider economy. And, you know, it's, it's just yeah, very interesting to see how, how retailers are responding to this, too. But we're starting to run out of time for this segment. And uh, when we come back, we'll continue talking with Bob Confer, president of Confer Plastics, about manufacturing in New York and how COVID – government decisions have impacted their ability to operate and our ability to get stuff. All right. Thanks again for joining us here on A Free Solution. Uh, If you have any questions or comments, make sure you leave them online if you're listening to us on the Facebook page, YouTube channel, or on Twitter. We'll get to those. All right. Thanks again. We'll be back in just a few. A Free Solution. Welcome back to A Free Solution. I'm Kevin Wilson, your host for today. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a guest on the show today, Bob Confer, who is the president of Confer Plastics. And we're talking about manufacturing today, and we're talking about all the different ways in which well, New York state actions, maybe federal actions, and, and the virus itself have impacted our ability to produce and to consume. And, uh, you know, I'm going to get to a couple of your comments here, uh, you know, Tim O'Connor just saying hi. Hey, Tim. Glad you're here. Uh, Nicholas 
Well, he said, you know, good thing there wasn't an alcohol surge or people have gone crazy. Yeah, that's that's true. We managed to, managed to keep getting alcohol. And he also says, I fear that as the economy heats up and the government dumps trillions of dollars into it, inflation will erupt. Now, in terms of like people are starting to see you know, rising prices across all industries. Uh, you know, Bob, ha- have you seen that? And, and if so, do you think it's a an inflation thing? Do you think it's a what, – what, what might be going on there, or at least, you know, from what you've been seeing? I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to be considered a um, minor blip, and that's what the federal government keeps on saying. And just yesterday, Janet Yellen said multiple times that inflation is not an issue, but I know darn well that it is an issue. Consumers have been feeling it a little bit, but I would say that they're not going to feel it in earnest for another month or two months because the supply chain is, is just catching up. So when I look at what manufacturers have been doing in recent months, we started to introduce increases in February, late February, early March. There were a few early adopters who were doing the same thing, but I would say that most of the manufacturers across multiple industries, whether it's plastic, steel, whatever it might be, they really went all in with their increases in March and April. So now that the marketplace is going to catch up with that, you're going to see significant inflation. And I wouldn't be surprised if the consumer is going to be looking at something in the range of 5 to 7% overall by time this year is said and done, which is awful significant because we're so used to 1% to 2%. Yeah. But even though the government is saying that they're not at fault for this, as I mentioned earlier, when you're forcing people to buy things instead of do things, that changes the marketplace. But so does the fact that they've been pumping all this money into the system. So when you look at all the different packages they've had, from the initial one to PPE to the unemployment to the second round of stimuli to whatever they're going to do with uh, infrastructure and American Jobs Plan, you're talking trillions of dollars that just came from nowhere that's getting put into the system. So that tends to devalue the dollar, even though people think that's old-fashioned monetary policy, that it doesn't exist anymore because we're not on gold standards and things the dollar value does go down, and you're seeing a lot of that now. So I think this is inescapable. It's not like the market's going to correct itself and things are going to go back to, let's call it, normal next year. I see that significant rise this year, and it'll last into the next few years. It's going to look and feel like maybe the late 1970s, early 1980s, and uh, it's going to be a scary time. And when I looked at what we did for pricing for consumers because of the variety of inputs, so it's not necessarily just the plastic, We've also got the boxes everything goes in. We've got the skids that get shipped on. We've got the labor. We've got the trucking. We've got energy, all that stuff. The increases that we imposed on the marketplace just a couple months ago for the pool and spa line was anywhere from 16% for something that's got a lot of mixed inputs up to 40%, which is something that's all plastic. And those are huge increases. But they all knew it was coming, and they're going to pass it on to the consumers. So it's good to see now that there's a general education of the consumers out there about marketplace issues because it had been lacking. But still, I don't think people are going to be prepared for it. How does an individual prepare for inflation knowing that the cost of what they need is going up at the same time the cost of what they want? How do they budget the funds? What do they do? Are people going to go right back to the trough again and demand that government give out another stimulus package to cover these costs? I'm fearful of what the future plays out in that regard. Yeah, I mean, on that last point, yeah, probably that's that's what people are going to do. But you know, if if that is one of the sources of the problem, doubling down on that 
He's going to help. And, and I'll read another comment, too, from Ryan. He says, I'm commercial roofing, mostly in New York. Insulation board is on par with plywood. We can't even get metal insulation plates. Metal of any kind is scarce. Prices are crazy. And I've been hearing that, you know, again, also su- supplies. And I, I think I saw a comment on Twitter um, in, in response to one of your tweets asking about, like, the, the lumber prices, too. So it's it's all sorts of things. So part of it's inflation. Part of it's uh, trade policy, too. And I want to ask you, you know, if – if any of the the trade and tariff stuff that started to get implemented over the last couple of years is having an impact on this for you and, and whether or not it's a good or a bad impact. In terms of uh, plastics, it really hasn't hurt us because everything that we're buying is made domestically when it comes to that. But when you look at some of the inputs on the items that support that, whether it's a skid or, or maybe corrugated, where are they getting the wood from? Most of it's probably going to be coming from Canada and getting processed here in the States. And when you look at the tariffs that were put in place during the uh, Trump administration, and there were also tariffs prior to that in the Obama years that were 10%, but Trump had gotten up into the 20% range, and uh, now it's sitting at 9% after changes that happened in December. That adds to the cost of doing business. That adds to the cost of building homes. So that's part of that whole equation going into it. And when you look at people always ask, why is lumber going up so much? And someone had posed that today on Twitter. When you look at that, there's this tariff trade war that's happening between the U.S. and Canada. At the same time, the people are investing in their homes because they're stuck at home, so they're going to be their own personal handyman, or they're going to say, you know what, build me a new home because I want to leave the city because I don't want to be in my own personal jail anymore. I want to leave. I want to have freedom, do things like that. So home building's on the way up. Home handyman's on the way up. At the same time that sawmills had shut down during the Great Recession. So if you drive across, say, western New York, southern tier, there's far fewer sawmills than there used to be. Luckily, you see some Amish ones opening here and there, but for the most part, sawmills are down, and when you need the volume that is necessary to feed the housing boom, there's nowhere near the number that's necessary for that. And then there's also the issue of paper, the need for toilet paper that people had created, the need for corrugated because now you've got e-commerce, and government decided to make uh, the Amazons of the world, their primary players in the marketplace. They shut down the stores and said, here, you're going to go to e-commerce. So that drove up the need for corrugated boxes, shipping, all sorts of things like that. So you need the pulp and the wood for that. At the same time, you need it for the toilet paper. And then just to throw something into the mix, then there is the mountain pine beetle that is decimating pine and spruce trees across Canada, which is really cutting back on the available lumber that's coming from British Columbia and places like that. And some people will tell you that's an outcome of global warming because they're going to say that the bugs would typically get frozen over the winter months and they're not going to exist and it's going to keep them at bay. But others will tell you it's also because of uh, Canadian federal policies related to fire suppression where they wanted to control fires, forest fires, which would constantly replenish the trees. But now that you've got all these mature trees, they're all croaking because they're getting decimated by these beetles. So it's a perfect storm of all these things that make lumber go up so much. And one thing of note, earlier in the year, they had said, just general contracting industry, that these increases in lumber were causing housing to go up on a new build by 27000 Now the new number that they're throwing out there this month is a new build is going to cost an extra 40000 this year. That's, that's huge. You know, that's, that, that's an annual income for a lot of people. Yeah, and once uh, this uh, sticker shock hits them, then they got to remortgage. They got to come up with new funds. It's it's frightening. Yeah, so so I mean, there's a again a whole bunch going on 
what you said. Like this, so the lumber situation is complex, right? It's a, a couple supply issues because of tariffs in Canada, uh, ecological issues with with the destruction from the beetle, which you know may be caused by government policy and, and other things. Uh, and I imagine it's also an issue too if you want to just you can't just like start up a sawmill in New York anyway. I'm I'm sure that is a whole rigmarole to get that operating again. So it's not like the market can respond quickly to that if getting up and running is difficult and may take a while, even under yeah, good at the same conditions. Time, you, you have to find the labor that is willing to do that sort of work, which we're seeing now there's labor shortages across all industries because of how government has been playing loose with the unemployment bonuses and stimuli. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely another part of it. And in I don't know if we want to get into it now because we only got like a minute left, but like I would be curious to see like what you've seen in terms of unemployment or it, like how unemployment incentives have impacted your ability to hire because we've certainly seen that in a lot of industries. And I think the, the criticism from progressives is, well, if if you want to get employees, you got to just pay more. And that's that's it. You just pay a living wage and you'll solve the problem. Right. So I know it's more <laughs> yeah. complicated than that. Um, and and just because again, I I want to make sure I, I, I acknowledge the comments in here too, and we'll we'll get to some of these after the break. Ryan says, you know, uh, wages will go stagnant. Yeah, that could happen too. Uh, Tim says, can we agree the government response to COVID is defining factor? That's certainly a huge yeah. factor. There's a lot of that. All right. So thanks again for joining us here on a free solution. We're joined by Bob Confer, who is the president of Confer Plastics, and we're talking manufacturing all the different factors of, uh, of government and markets that are impacting you know, our ability to make stuff, consume stuff, why prices are going up. There's a whole bunch going on here. Thanks again for joining us. We're going to be back in a few minutes. Why do businesses choose to move their website from Wix and Squarespace to Simple Tech Innovations? Maybe it's their excellent customer service or attention to detail. Maybe it's their ability to give a truly customized solution. Or perhaps they just like the fact that Simple Tech is a local small business that builds great relationships with its clients. Whatever the reason may be, you can rest assured knowing that the local team at Simple Tech has your best interest in mind when building or updating your website. They're hands-on and love helping customers achieve their goals. But don't take my word for it. They've won the best in Rochester eight years in a row and have an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. If your website doesn't match your dreams or isn't achieving your goals, give the professionals at Simple Tech Innovations a call today for a consultation at 585-200-3182. That's 585-200-3182. Simple Tech Innovations. A free solution. Welcome back to A Free Solution. I'm Kevin Wilson, your host of the day. Thank you so much for joining us. We're here on WYSL. Uh, if you're listening to the live show until 1 o'clock, we 
can take your comments online, so leave your comments on the Free Solution Facebook page, or Free Solution YouTube channel, or the Kevin Wilson page. I'm on there, too, and on Twitter. Happy to read those on air if you have something smart to say. And shout-out down the line to our friends over at WACK out Newark and WENY, the Patriot down in the Southern Tier. Glad y'all are here. And we're talking today with Bob Confer, who's the president of Confer Plastics. And, and before the break, I, you know, I didn't want to get into it before the midway point of the show, but you we we'd started talking about how unemployment incentives are impacting the ability to hire. So have you seen that um, in, in your industry and, you know, maybe in, in some, some other industries around New York State, too? Yeah, we've definitely seen it here at the plant. I can uh, find more than enough people to fill up first and second ship, but when it comes to third ship, it gets difficult. So even with the inducements to bring people to third and, and pay a little bit more for that along those lines, it's been impossible to fill, and we're not alone in that. So every staffing agency that we've talked to, they find it impossible to fill up third shift. So it might be more than just third shift because as I drive all around western New York, so my travels will take me across Niagara County and then it will take me down into uh, Allegheny County. So as I pass through all these towns, there are signs everywhere, whether it's manufacturers in Arcade or it could be restaurateurs here in Niagara County. There are signs everywhere, people looking for help, and those signs stay up for an incredibly long time. So we had uh, one of the staffing agencies pose it to us that people will not get off the couch until a starting wage is at least 1750 and even then it's going to create somewhat of a problem because people are now weighing that life of leisure versus an income and what is a sustainable income. And as long as the government continues to pay out that amount for the unemployment bonus on top of standard unemployment, and then you increase the child tax credit, and then you can count on multiple stimuli throughout the year, they're just going to bank on that until the well goes dry. So we know right now that the state extended unemployment for right through the summer, so that's going to make it difficult for, say, theme parks, restaurants, lawnscapers and, and landscapers, anyone along those lines to meet the demand that's necessary for them. And uh, we're seeing it here in the Buffalo marketplace where a lot of restaurants right now are shutting down business multiple days a week because they don't have the staff. So they're focusing on weekend activities, making sure they can get the people that are going out and about that want to do things, shutting down during the week. And in some cases, they're actually shutting down their hours. And I saw where even one coffee shop that is a national brand had shut down at 6 p.m. on a Sunday because they didn't have the staff available for that. So it's just adding up, wow. and people are going to start getting angry because there's fewer tables, there's uh, less staff available. That's going to frustrate people who go to restaurants, and they're going to take it out on them. But as I mentioned in a tweet yesterday, you should really focus on tipping your hat and then tipping handsomely those who are working because they did it. They worked. They're the ones that came off the couch to work. It's the other people they should be angry at. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, but please, you know, make sure you treat your uh, the your, your waiters and waitresses nicely. My you know, mom has been a waitress for twenty years, and you know, I, you know, I've heard I've heard all the stories of that. But but for people like her who are just trying to to, to work hard and put food on their table for their families, uh, and and people who are doing that, you know just trying to make an honest living right now, it's it's tough because there are a lot of incentives to to just get money from the government. It's easy. You don't have to do anything. You know, I, you have to apply and whatnot. But, you know, you're you're making more on unemployment than, than you would in some cases at these jobs. It, it's hard to 
make a short-term decision uh, otherwise because, yeah, the money's good, and, and you don't have to be in at work all the time. Why wouldn't you? And then a lot of places, or a lot of people, I should say, when they want to weigh leisure versus pay, some of them might not work if they're earning at 50% to 70%, and I saw that with some uh, local machine shops who lost their welders during the shutdown and couldn't get them back because they wanted to stay off until everything had dried up, and welders bring down a pretty penny. So the fact that they wouldn't come back should be a telling story. And I don't want to sound like some conspiracy theorist, but I do believe that the $600 bonus that was in play last year on top of the standard unemployment was a ploy by GOP that didn't want to sign on to a law that mandates the $15 minimum wage, and also for the Southern Democrats that wanted to, didn't want to do the same. So if you put this out there and you induce employers to increase their wages to keep up with whatever the government is handing out, you are inducing this without the fiat, without the law, and causing it to happen without having to look like the bad guy by putting this out as the law, which they know would be offensive to their base, which would be the employers who might be contributing to their campaigns and things like that. Yeah, right. Now, it's a good way to get around it. And it's also a way to test, like, you know, a soft UBI, right? It's You, you, you just give people money, and then, right, if, if that amount of money that you're going to be getting not working is lower than what you can capture in the open market, it forces wages to drive up is, is the idea, I think. But what politicians don't think about is all the other externalities of that, the other ways of restaurants just shutting down, not being able to staff, uh, manufacturers being short-staffed, um, and other aspects of the economy that I, I don't even understand. I can't pretend that I understand the whole thing that are just going to go unaddressed because you've created this new problem and driven employment costs up. Like we don't we don't think about how that works. Politicians don't think about that works. You, you and I think about how that works. Politicians don't think about how that works. They're thinking short term. Yeah, and the unfortunate thing is it, it takes snapshots to really get people to understand this and get involved with this. And the one snapshot that I think is perfect to really – crystallize this is the lack of supply of chicken wings and the increase in cost. So the availability of wings is 30% down versus last year. Prices are double. All of the producers say it's not for the fact that there's less chickens out there. It's for the fact that there's less workers who are processing the chickens. So being the Western New York is the, the mecca for chicken wings. People are feeling it now. And I did see a Facebook post today from a bar slash restaurant down in Shingle House, Pennsylvania, which is just across the border from Allegheny County. They decided to stop selling chicken wings because to come out even, they would have to sell chicken wings for $17 a dozen. And they don't want to put that on their customers, so they feel that they're better off by not selling chicken wings at all. Holy cow, $17 a dozen. You know, I, I get it. Yeah, you're in a restaurant. You, you, you're not going to lose money on chicken wings right <laughs> you gotta right. you gotta make something off of them but oh, it's nuts like it, it's, it's a legitimate crisis for western new york <laughs> <laughs> uh we, we, we got we got solve this problem before football season so that's it's important let's let's get on it make sure we get our supply of chicken wings so that we're ready <laughs> yeah we know the government won't solve it for us because uh, one frustration that i have that as we look at all these supply chain issues as people start to realize that there's situations such as the microchips, so there's this microchip shortage, 
that's impacting the auto industry. So there's a lot of idle automotive plants right now. There's empty car lots. And now rental cars are at a premium because during the shutdown when travel wasn't a thing, those companies had to stay afloat, so they sold all their cars. But now they can't get cars again to replenish what they had in the system. So you're looking at rental values being twice what they were last year. So if they know that there's a microchip shortage, if they know that there's lumber plastics, anything along those lines, why would the government think it was okay to want to increase the corporate tax rate and stymie investment? So this is a big frustration to me because when you look at it, people are going to say, you know what, it's only going from 28 or 21 to 28 percent, which to them looks like 7 percent. But it's not 7 percent. It's really 33 percent. So it's going up a third. So that means that a small business or a manufactured machine shop that had paid $100,000 in corporate taxes last year would be paying $133,000 this year. That's money that could have been spent on machinery and people and processes to get the products that are necessary for the consumers and the general economy. And the thing that bothers me the most with this is I looked at Trump's tax cuts or the GOP Congress tax cuts as being absolutely essential to my business for competing domestically and internationally because for the first time in 25, 26 years, we became debt-free. So we always accumulated debt because we were investing in new machines, investing in new buildings, doing what was necessary to get people trained to run those things. So it takes a lot to really build up a manufacturing facility. So because of those tax cuts, we had access to our money. So we got to put it back into the company, pay off debt, so we didn't need the money of banks. So a lot of people will say, you know what, trickle-down economics isn't a real thing. It is, because people like to throw small businesses under the bus when it comes to corporate taxes because they want to assume that evil corporations are not paying their taxes, so everybody's got to suffer. So they want to throw everyone under that same umbrella. It's really unfortunate because small businesses like mine, the restaurants, the doctor's offices, the machine shops, they're the ones paying the bills and doing what's necessary and getting people employed, and they account for basically 99% of all employers when you look at each individual corporate entity. And there's going to be a million businesses impacted by this corporate tax increase, and that's a million businesses that aren't going to be able to invest at a time when they need to invest because we see these supply chain issues and we see that it's necessary for these businesses to become whole again after government had shut them down for months and in some cases basically a year. So it's yeah. such odd timing. All right. Well, well there's a, a lot there. So thanks again. We're, we're joined by Bob Confer, the president of Confer Plastics. And you know, we're talking about manufacturing, policy, taxes. I'm glad you brought up the corporate taxes point because that's also very important. We've talked about this on the show a few times. But thanks again, uh, everyone listening today, to A Free Solution. We're going to be back with one more segment after this. A Free Solution. Welcome back to A Free Solution. I'm Kevin Wilson, your host for today. Thank you so much for joining us. We're joined by Bob Confer, who is the president of Confer Plastics, and we're talking about manufacturing, all the different policy stuff that goes into this. And, you know, Bob, I I know we want to talk about the HERO Act, too. Can you, can you talk about what that is and how that's impacting you? And then maybe we'll, we'll wrap up with talking about uh, some things that could help alleviate some of the issues that, that you and, and other manufacturers are facing. Okay, yep, the uh, HERO Act is something that, if it does get signed into law by Cuomo, it's going to be something that's going to hurt me. It's going to hurt other employers across the state 
basically it's an acronym for the Health and Essential Rights Act, and what it does is it basically codifies Cuomo's rules, turns them into something that's permanent, and at the same time the legislature would take credit for it because they want to look like the people are doing well for everyone, make them feel safe, make them feel wanted, things like that. So even though employers in the state have been at this for 14 months, they wanted to introduce this so that way they could look good from a marketing standpoint. But at the same time, this makes it somewhat permanent. So any time that something arises that is a uh, viral transmission or an airborne threat, and it's determined that it's going to be a threat to public health, the health commissioner can say, you know what, we have to pull this rule out, we have to mandate masks, we have to mandate social distancing, things like that. So one could believe that beyond the realm of COVID, as we go into the future, this might be applied to the flu because they could say, you know what, there's a half million hospitalizations in the United States and 36,000 people die from it every year, so it's a threat. So we have to make sure that this stuff is in play. So that's going to be frustrating for workers, customers, visitors, what have you, if this becomes uh, a cultural issue going forward long after COVID has been taken care of. And beyond the scope of that, there's the most significant part, which is the threat of lawsuits that would be levied against employers. As it stands now, if an employee has an issue with anything that's health and safety related at the plant or any employer, whether it's a restaurant or an office space, they go to the employer first. If that doesn't cut it, then they go to OSHA, the New York State Department of Labor, or the Department of Health, whether it's at the county level or the state level. So this throws all of that that we've ever known right outside the window and allows the employee to go right to the courts. So this law would cap the lawsuits at $20,000. So if the employee alleges that the employer did not follow the state guidelines, if they didn't follow their own guidelines, if that employee believes that it's a threat to their health or their life, or that they got a positive from whatever that ailment might be from that workplace, then they can go and sue. The other thing associated with that is the law clearly indicates that employers must pay the employee's legal fees if the employee wins. So I could see this starting somewhat of a cottage industry when it comes to law firms where they're going to say, you know what, have you ever had the COVID? Do you have a flu? Do you feel unsafe at work? Come see us. And when they do, I would imagine them telling that employee they're going to charge them $15 an hour if they lose. But if they win, you know what, they're going to go charge that employer enough so that law firm can pick up a $20,000 bill from that employer. So to make for a nasty, nasty situation. And the odd thing about all this, or maybe it's not odd because we knew it would happen, is the government absolves itself of any risk associated with this where all government workplaces within the state are protected. So anyone that works there, they can't go and throw a $20,000 lawsuit at them, and the government agencies don't have to play by the rules. Of course they do. Like, I'm not... (laughs) I feel like I should be shocked by this, but I'm not. That's... That's terrible. So, so this this law creates, um, you know, a a new set of of liabilities for employers and and possibly makes some of these COVID rules permanent. And you know, does it does it actually do anything to increase the safety of workers? Because that's that's what you know the the lawmakers are saying. They're they're saying this is this is really about protecting workers. It's to make sure that. Workplaces like yours are taking care of their employees and not being negligent in allowing disease to spread unchecked. Does it it do anything to advance that at all? Yep, it shows a total lack of trust, which was the 
the creation of the whole mess when it came to shutdowns is the government didn't trust businesses to do right and it didn't trust workers and general consumers to do right when they're in those businesses. But when it comes down to what we did, when we started to reopen, we had to create our own guidelines. So I made a multi-page document of what we had to do in order to be safe because health and safety is kind of old hat in manufacturing because we have all the OSHA standards to live by, things like that. So government should have trusted us to always be open. And when the state came out with the guidelines, they borrowed from my guidelines to make theirs. And I didn't have to add anything to what we were doing because it was all addressed. And we went over and above what the state had done. And prior to the state guidelines, local government, county governments here in Niagara County, also Chautauqua County and other ones, had shared my reopening plan with other small businesses to get them open. So that was trust. That's what we needed in this whole equation here. And when you look at workplace spread, I pulled the numbers on uh, what we saw. We've got about 180 to 190 people to work here. Over the course of the past year, we've had 135 known tests, and of that, there were 22 positives. None of those tests were necessary because of an exposure at work. So we've never had an outbreak of even one. So all of these exposures happen outside of the workplace. It might have happened at a party, a get-together, things like that. So it's been proven, whether it's a workplace like ours or at a school, that general workplaces do not constitute a threat. But now this law goes to make sure that it's identified as a threat. And how does an employee or an employer prove or not prove that the illness didn't come from a workplace when this law goes into effect? Yeah, Which is going to make it incredibly frustrating, even though I have the stats to prove that it doesn't. And related to all that, what I have in place is a COVID-19 administrator. All he does for his job at 40 hours every week, he manages every aspect of what we do with COVID because that gives us the peace of mind to make sure that people are safe because there's going to be some uh, oldsters at work here and also some families that take care of oldsters at home. And then we have a lot of young families here with a lot of babies, a lot of toddlers. So when you look at especially the, the preemie rate in Western New York, it's awful high. So I want to make sure that they're safe. Same time, I want to make sure the supply chain's safe because I don't want to shut down the plant, hurt those people's wages for two weeks at a time, and then also hurt our customers. So I want to make sure everything's up to snuff. Every business wants to do that. Nobody wants to see people get sick. Nobody wants to shut down their business. So they're going to comply to their own standards, and they don't really need the government to come in and say, here's what you got to do to keep people safe, and here's what's going to happen. If you don't, they can go to the courts and fine you for $20,000. So it's, it's frustration. It's a lack of trust. I prefer to have trust. There should be trust between government trusting us and us having trust in the government, but it's a two-way street, and it's kind of broken in both ways for good reason when we don't trust the government because we saw everything that's happened over the past year, and it's been uh, frightening. Yeah, over the last year, we've we've seen all the ways in which government has used its power arbitrarily, has disregarded the long-term consequences of their decisions, and in particular, New York State. You know, I think there's without opening that whole can of worms, Governor Cuomo uh, misrepresenting how COVID impacted nursing home communities. Well, yeah, yeah I mean that that's a whole other episode. Well, it's several other episodes that we've done on that. But but Bob, we we have a minute left. Any last things to say for the show? Any anything to plug before we go? Uh, no, I just have to tell people always uh, maintain your faith in uh, what you can do as a citizen. Make sure that you listen to shows like this, read your newspapers, get involved in your community, and do what's necessary to bring liberty to everyone and help everyone live the American dream. Uh, excellent words to end the show on. Always appreciate you having, having you on. 
been great discussion. Thanks, everyone, for listening today to A Free Solution. Uh, I'll be back on Friday. Larry Sharp will be in tomorrow. Talk to you then.